Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name is John, and with me is a guy who may have lost his uh, FinTech account with Brex. Steve, how are you doing? I, I'm broke, John, and I have no access to credit anymore. What happened to my business? You're not a profitable customer, that's for sure. I am not. I'm apparently yeah, not. You know, yeah, Brex yeah. Uh, just announced that they're kicking out their smaller customers, I guess it is. Uh, I have a copy of their, their letter, but... Uh, yeah, they're basically pivoting to larger companies and booting the SMBs that uh, got them started in the first place. Yeah, and by larger, we should note that larger means, uh, I'm guessing in this context, you're more profitable. And it's interesting because if you <laughs> yeah, right. live anywhere in the Bay Area, I've noticed how Brex has all these ads on you know, bus shelters and the bar here as well, trying to court SME clients, and then they just dump them, which is uh, an interesting strategy. Yeah, 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 yeah. After encouraging people to to use them and their their services and APIs and all that, uh, yeah, we 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 don't need you. We're gonna we're moving on up. We're moving on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. With all that customer acquisition cost, it'd be funny to, um, you know, th- those are pretty expensive customers to get. I uh, bet. But yeah, yeah. But I guess uh, when you have to pivot, you uh, just make a clean break, I guess, and and move on. I, is, in, is their you know what? I, I keep saying this, but I think uh, tis the season to, piv- to, to pivot right now. This is a, a big pivoting time, right, right. Everyone's going to pivot. Well, let me bring in our guest. Uh, we're lucky to have Stephen Mathai Davis, the CEO and founder of QAI. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Gus. So your bank hasn't dumped you guys yet, right? You're, you're not banking with Brex? No, not yet. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're if you're big enough, well, they, they might go looking for you now. But uh, the smaller ones are gone. What do you what do you think of that? Um, it's just a natural consolidation, in my opinion. You know, banking as a service was such a growing uh, phenomena over the last couple of years. So I'm not really surprised by that. But you know, remember, I'm a ex bank trader. That's how I started my career. Mm-hmm. I've been through mm-hmm. a few cycles. Oh man! If so, you've been a trader through a few cycles. This guy's got a. Uh, I'm going to guess you have a good poker face. Like to say that? That's what uh, everybody tells me. I, I'd like to think I'm pretty personal. But but <laughs> I keep losing money at poker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, your uh, QAI now is your latest company. You've uh, founded or co-founded uh, a few others. Uh, first, um, what what is the the name coming from? Uh, Q. It's Q.AI, pronounced QAI. You know, my, my last startup, startup was Quantumize, which was a research platform. We were winning a ton of awards and we were scaling pretty quickly, but it was much more of a content geared platform for individual investors to get access to factor powered, AI powered research. Um, we sold that to Forbes back in late 2019. And as part of the deal, Forbes wanted me to launch a new type of startup that was going to take a lot of the technology we were using with Quantumize and bring it to the actual individual investor through a digital app. What our goal really is to do is bring the experience folks have when they're investing with elite hedge funds or with elite investment banks like Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs to the average individual investor through a digital app. So when I was thinking through the name, I was like, you know, I really love the name Quantalytics. You know, it's a great play between quantitative analytics and this whole idea of how it's transforming investing. But of course, uh, the smart branding folks that I had hired told me I was out of my mind. So, you know, we started to say, well, what's a better way to keep kind of that cultural ethos that we were building here, that brand ethos, that we came up with QAI, Quantalytics AI. 
And they still think you're out of your mind. They still do. But, uh, you know, I've got smart <laughs> enough to just admit that I am and just let the smart folks I hired run with it. Well, that's a great endorsement when uh, the company that's, uh, well, they're already buying your company, but uh, they want you to, to start another one. People are asking me not to do anything else uh, on the other hand. So that, you know, tells you some, some of the difference there. Uh, but uh, what is the focus uh, of QAI? Do you have like a, a, a target customer, an ideal that you're, that you're targeting? Yeah, we've got a big vision, you know, it's, um, it's a little audacious, but like all startups, you need to have an audacious dream to reach towards. Our goal really is to democratize wealth creation by bringing institutional grade investing to the average individual investor through this one tap investing model that we've created. Literally, you know, through the QAI app, you get to invest just like you would be with Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, or some of those awesome hedge funds you read about every day. And you have a really interesting model where you have what you call kits, which is basically theme investments. Can you, can you walk us through the product and, and, and what that does? Yeah, you know, like taking a step back, right? It's if you're a user coming onto the app and you're used to having your monies in ETFs or mutual funds or perhaps in other types of structured funds, it gets a little confusing when you're looking at the strategies to figure out what am I getting? And what we did was we packaged our products into what we called themed investment kits, which is powered by our AI algorithms. And the idea with a kit is that you're playing a specific theme, in some cases, longer term themes like emerging tech or global trends, shorter term themes like what's going on right now with inflation, the spike in gasoline prices, and maybe you know, more specialty themes like I want to play you know, alcohol, booze, and cannabis. I want to play what's going on with infrastructure spending, things like that. So the, think about the investment kits as unique investment financial products, the productization of very advanced AI algorithms. So how did you first get interested in the markets? Um, was it just uh, starting in with the trading or had you always dreamed about that? Yeah, it's funny. You know, the joke with me is that I was born, raised and bred to be a portfolio manager. Uh, my father helped build what you would call the modern emerging markets business today is the chief operating officer of a well-known asset management firm that was sold to Wachovia in the late 90s. And starting at about seven or eight years old, I was talking about stocks, investing in stocks in, in my math class in school. I was exposed to it at such a young age. Um, it's pretty funny. I think about all, all my family members, all my older cousins, everybody's in the business running funds or running financial technology at major investment banks. So it's funny. It's in some ways, I, it's the only thing I ever knew. Um, how do you think of wealth management and wealth creation now for your customers in the context of this really, um, what seems to be kind of a, a longer term downturn in the economy? Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a great question, right? Because, you know, our mission is to, quote unquote, democratize wealth creation. And that's what we tell people. That's what we're doing. We're not democratizing finance. We're out to democratize wealth creation and bring those and level of playing field for everybody in was trying to invest and realize their financial dreams and goals. In the current environment, I think this has been a unique opportunity for us to talk about the importance of portfolio protection strategies, hedging, how hedging can help you. On uh, the QAI app, users get access to really advanced portfolio protection strategies that are protecting you against stock market volatility, oil market volatility, VIX volatility, interest rate volatility, with just a click of a button. And just the overlay starts right away. now. 
this is a stuff that's only available to really high net worth individuals, to wealthy folks who have their monies at elite investment banks. Even at some elite hedge funds, you don't get access to this. And it's a great opportunity for us on the educational side to really talk about why portfolio protection strategies are important. It's not all about just getting the biggest and highest return. It's about the risk adjusted return. How much risk are you taking for the return you're looking for? I think you know, our target demographic is mass affluent millennial and Gen Z investors. And if you think about the, this age demographic, I'm an older millennial, you know, it kind of came of age post 2008, 2009, really actually post the Greek debt crisis. So people have been used to markets churning higher 10, 15, 20% per annum year over year. I mean, that's not reality. Reality is kind of what we're dealing with at the moment where markets go through cycles, the average return through a cycle is on a compounded basis, roughly six to seven percent. And now you've got to unlearn some habits that you have been encouraged to think about over the last few years. Uh, I want to go back to before reality then. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it, right? <laughs> just to buy just stocks and everything compounds higher 20, 25 percent and not think about it. But, you know, this is a, it's a great opportunity really for millennial and Gen Z investors as they're looking forward to think about investing and how to create investments. If I will, you know, if you've got 5, 10, 15, 25K, up to about 100K to invest, you know, it does, it, it's counterintuitive. You don't have that many options. It's really limited. Now, if you've got, if you're just entry level with a couple hundred bucks to buy, to invest, you've got a plethora of options in micro-investing platforms. They may not be great algorithms. I'm not going to get into that, but you still have a lot of options. If you got 5, 10, 15, 20, up to about 100, you don't really have that many options. And the financial advisors aren't really going to take your business because they can't make that much money off you. So what do you do? You go buy mutual funds on Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab. Now, guess what? What are you buying there? You know, you're just buying cookie cutter strategies. And what's driving that? Look at the asset management business today. 75% plus of all assets in the mutual fund industry controlled by three firms. The ETF industry, over 90% of assets is controlled by four to five firms. And both industries are compounding at high single digits to double digits. There's no product yeah. differentiation. There's nothing yeah, Wealth it. management, uh, uh, fintechs have uh, been around for a while. Uh, why haven't they broken into that market share a, a bit more? I mean, certainly some very well-funded uh, efforts have been out there. Uh, and then you're you're just starting out. You're less than three years old. Um, what, what will it take to to make significant inroads into that cookie cutter market? I, I think it's what the road that we're treading is a more difficult road, which is we're built we're actually building investment strategies and we're actually doing portfolio management. I think if you look at the fintech process over what you'd say the last decade, there's been tremendous amount of innovation that's occurred. And back office that's occurred in wealth management where you've digitized the financial advisor models, but no one's really gone after the asset management business because that's more difficult. Uh, you know, our goal is to build the next digital BlackRock, a natively holistic uh, investing experience for individual investors. The reason we think this is plausible is because if you look at modern finance today, it was built around servicing the baby boomers, but you know, demographics drives everything. And if you look at demographics in the U.S., we all know this. It's it's a timepiece where you know you've got this huge bottom rung of millennial and Gen Z investors, 
that are looking for an investing experience in modern finance today as it stands doesn't really address their needs. And that's what we're trying to do. So coming back to your question, why haven't other fintechs gone after it? I think people are trying to figure out ways to do it. There's a growing number of startups like ourselves that are trying to get into the asset management business, but asset management is hard. You're taking the real investment risk. Is it tough um, when people after a certain in income or asset level just want to go to a familiar name? Yeah, that's interesting, right? That's a phenomenon that's very unique to baby boomers and Gen Xs. Now, if you start to go down to millennial Gen Z investors, it's less about the brands or they tend to be more distrustful, the more established brands, and they're looking for brands that really align more with their values. They're also looking for a different investing experience. You know, we, before we even started, we interviewed five to 10,000 real users on Instagram and Reddit and Facebook. I mean, we were hustling to uh, interview people because frankly, I didn't want to waste my time building a product nobody wants. And, you know, one of the great takeaways that came out of it is that people, at least, you know, millennial and Gen Z investors, it's a very peculiar trait. They want to have more of a say about where their monies are going. They don't want the responsibility of making sure the, you know, the strategies go up, but they want to have more of a hands-on experience saying, here's where I want my monies to go. If you talk to a baby boomer or a Gen X, they're usually saying my monies are in stocks and bonds, just in general terms. If you speak to younger investors, they talk about sustainable brands, very specific type of themes that they're trying to invest into. So we realized right away that this would be the experience we needed to build, which was much more bespoke and a personalized investing experience, but one that also did the hard work for them, which was we do all the investing. So is, does the AI uh, exist right now to do everything you wanted to do for uh, customizing and operations and all the applications you want? Or, or what, what's around the corner that you're really excited that would provide some uh, more solutions or more cost savings or better portfolios uh, you know, for, right now, for like you guys? Yeah, for us, at least, because, you know, we, we built everything, all our AI algorithms from the bottom up. We're using a lot of our AI both for the security selection process, which is figuring out what to invest in, and the risk management, which is how much to buy of something and then how to allocate between different kits. So we're using the AI at the moment for the entire investment decision process from beginning to end. I'm more excited about how AI over the next year or two for us specifically will help us build more bespoke personalized experiences as we learn more about what users are doing on our platform, how not only are we going to be able to recommend different types of investments to them, but begin to build bespoke personalized investment kits. Like imagine a kit personalized for you, unique only to you with a bunch of stocks and ETFs. I'm really excited by that and how we'll be able to trade in and out of them over the next year or two. That's kind of the long-term vision. Uh, but so uh, more data is going to help with that. Or uh, is it the speed an issue or... Um, creating better algorithms? Uh, does that get you uh, there faster? I don't think it's going to be about just data and uh, faster algorithms. I, I think we've got that covered. I think it's going to be learning more about users as they come onto our platform and use it to help us better understand and interact with them. Now, we built the entire app from a very iterative customer development process. That's why we say the uh, QEI is in beta, because we're constantly learning and evolving and taking feed, short feedback loops from our customers to really improve the investment experience. So that's as we begin to grow and scale further, just by the number of users on the platform, we're going to learn more. 
Speaking of scale, um, I understand that you're going after the Gen Z and millennials uh, and millennial customer targets there. And those are famously cash strapped generations, right? Broadly speaking. Um, and yeah. we've seen how other other retail in investors like SigFit have actually struggled to attract AUM. How are you looking at the AUM photo and or rather the AUM picture? And um, uh, at what point do you think this will become a viable, sustainable product when you have enough of them to actually make it work? Uh, I, I don't think we're going to run the same issues as SigFig because in our case, very specifically, we're bringing what will be kind of the mutual fund asset management model. So given the amount of assets that are already being driven into these products, remember millennials own over a million dollars in value of the stock market today. I don't think that's going to be our, our issue. I think some of the problems plaguing the sig figs as well as some of the other fintechs is the fight is their commercial model where it's based on AOM fee. We don't believe in that. We believe in the Netflixication of investing where you use microtransactions and microsubscriptions as a way to monetize the experience. I think users find that more transparent. They understand what they're paying for. It'll lead to more stable cash flows for us. Um, I, I think longer term, it's about being a niche focus in the, at the beginning where we're really going after what I would call mass affluent. Again, folks making 100K and above who are not as cash strapped as you're implying. Right. Uh, so so you're going after, you said basically a subscription model. What What is your pricing scheme then? Uh, well, right now it's for free. So QAI is free for all users as we continue iterating beta. Uh, we haven't really released publicly our pricing scheme, but most of the app or a large chunk of it will always be free for users. We are planning to monetize around our portfolio protection and some more more advanced risk management tools that people like to have automated for them. So what would you say to people right now um, when they're kind of freaking out, the market's going down? uh, You know, what what do you wish, uh, what would you say to them about the market now? And and what are some, some of the misconceptions that you find uh, that people yeah. have. I would tell users the following. It's always better to be contrarian. So as everybody's freaking out now, now's the time to actually get involved in the market mm-hmm. and buy it. I was just telling Steve this, yeah. Listen, we were telling people to hedge and to buy our precious metals kit and to put on portfolio protection back in November. And folks were like, I don't know, it's going to crimp returns. And our view was, this is crazy and you better you better start thinking about hedging. I mean, these markets don't go up forever. And now, given the corrections and the wide you know, swing right now in terms of sentiment, I would tell people now's the time to begin thinking about buying because that's really when you make money. And the, the best investors have always bought when there's blood in the streets, to paraphrase Rothschild. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Be greedy I, I, when I, there's I, fear and be fearful when everyone's greedy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I, I assume that that does not apply to, to the crypto space now, right? Uh, are you bullish or bearish on, on the, the crypto markets? Well, it depends on if we're talking about uh, what time horizon. I think longer term, I'm a big believer in the crypto space, in mm-hmm. blockchain. Um, I've gone through a few cycles with crypto before where these downdrafts can continue for a very long time. I think crypto should be an allocation to everybody's balanced multi-asset portfolio. It just shouldn't be more than five to 10% at most. But if you're asking me if I would be buying Bitcoin right now, I can't do that obviously with QAI on a personal level, but I, and within the app itself, we do have allocations to crypto in a multi-asset framework as well as within our crypto kits.
Interesting. Um, what percentage of your customers actually use the the, the crypto kit? Oh, right now, it's significant. Again, I want to be careful about giving out information, given the fact that uh, Forbes was just about to go public through SPAC. I would say it is not de minimis. It is a significant portion. Hmm. Which makes sense with your user base. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, most of uh, there's this misconception that Millennium Gen Z investors only like crypto. Again, the majority of their assets are in traditional stocks and ETFs. Which well, well, they have a long, they can have a long term time frame until they retire. They're not, they're yeah. not looking, they don't right. need to pull it out in the next year, two or three necessarily. But I'll share an insight you know, that I learned as I was doing market research. Younger investors, so millennials and, to, and Gen Z. So we're talking about folks between the ages of 25 to 40. They prefer buying stocks and ETFs. They don't like mutual funds. And they own more stocks and ETFs than they do uh, digital assets. Is this a false sense of uh, knowing or of like picking individual companies uh, rather than diversifying? Maybe they overestimate their, their knowledge? No, it's just, you know, you know, as I was describing earlier, you know, this whole high concentration of assets and just a few firms, which actually leads to limited product differentiation. Uh, that's a core driver of it. I, I think that's really what it is. I don't think it's hubris so much as they don't really want to give their monies to mutual funds where the mutual funds don't really outperform and it's all the same stuff. Oh, uh, so tied into that mistrust of larger institutions. Large, certainly. And, it, and by the way, that's pretty well placed. If you read about, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I don't want to throw shade at somebody else, but you guys read about what the Schwab just did with their robo-advisor. Oh, yeah. Defined by the SEC. I mean, that's outrageous, guys. Yeah. All yeah. they have to do is disclose it. They didn't disclose it. Oh, I, I didn't hear about this. What was the issue? It was a fine of $186 million for in their robo-advisor business where they were allocating the cash and were not telling their customers and they were doing that for their own, for their own, you know, I guess, profitability on the BD side of things. And yeah. uh, nobody uh, disclosed. Yeah, I was uh, actually surprised. And, but, uh, you know, Charles Schwab never ends up uh, with negative press. I, you know, it's really hard to find news about them. Uh, and you know, finally, they they had something. They're they're just like every other uh, large bank, I guess. You know, guys, it's just that's part of the you know uh, you know part of these you know revolutions occurring with fintech is this pushback against these larger institutions. Yeah, and it seems like you're you're sort of uh, at the vanguard of of that of that pushback, right? Um, so. Looking at the next, you know, two to five years, um, where is where is QAI and and how does the market look? What's your business look like? Where are you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we're still in the early stages, and we're coming out of what you know. I'd like to tell the team this scrappy startup mode to startup build company building mode. I'd say maybe over the next five years, it'd be easier for me to kind of vision cast in that direction. We would be uh, on our way to becoming this new new digital asset management company delivering investing strategies and experiences in a very personalized, bespoke digital fashion. I mean, you got, it's, it, that's where the future is. The future is not old school asset management. The future is asset management delivered through a digital, natively digital experience. And remember, I come out of the asset management hedge fund space. I'm not a technologist commenting on that. I grew up in the industry. 
And, you know, if you look at the way the industry has evolved, man, the way mutual funds and ETFs, which is just an evolution of the mutual funds, the way they're constructed, sold, distributed, hasn't changed since the 90s. That's not hyperbole. That's the truth. And they haven't been forced to change because three to four firms control over 80% of assets. So you have such a high concentration of assets in these firms, they're not being forced to innovate. Well, we hope you start forcing them to, I guess. Uh, so you've, you've founded and co-founded a few companies uh, I mentioned early on, uh, and you've gotten this one up and running pretty, pretty quick here. Uh, what's your advice for any other fintechs, not competitors of yours, of course, but uh, uh, any other fintechs out there, how, how can they get started? Or what are some mistakes that you notice? That you're like, ah, no, guys, don't do that. Or, or any advice you might have. Yeah, maybe I can give some advice from mistakes I've made in the past that really informed me and I love the battle scars. Don't worry about making things perfect. I, I would say this to any fintech entrepreneur, but just any entrepreneur period. I'm sure you guys relate to this. Don't worry about making things perfect. If it's good enough, get it out there and get feedback. Don't be afraid of negative reviews and negative customer feedback. You learn more from the negative customer feedback than you do from accolades. I've learned so much speaking to our customers who send in support tickets, upset about some experience on the app than I do from playing around with it myself or talking within the team or hearing about different awards we're winning. I appreciate everybody who sends in their support tickets and gets on the phone with me to get feedback because it helps us learn quite a bit. So I would always tell everybody, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Just get it out there and learn it. Don't be afraid and never give up. Oh, yeah. Those are lessons that's, I've learned over the last 10 years. The never give up and the persistence I've, I've found that uh, is, yeah. uh, is is really good. Yeah, because you, you will iterate. Uh, I'd love to hear about a good pivot. In a, uh, you're, you're pretty young with this one. You haven't had to, to make any significant pivots, right? No, but man, we have made all kinds of pivots with the products. You know, oh, oh, okay. In yeah. the beginning, three years ago, I would have been talking to you guys about the application of Jungian archetypes to investing personalities and how you would map them. And this is a great example, you know, and it makes a lot of sense intellectually, right? Because when you go into the way money management is executed with hedge fund managers and even mutual fund managers, people get bucketed into different categories. I was known as a GARP value investor who really focused on consumer tech and then later emerging markets. And that was my reputation. So I was a growth investor, growth at a discount. We tried to take that and apply it into this market here, and we totally confused everybody. And it was funny. This is uh, my approach, which is no sacred cows. It was my idea. We got it out there, and my product guy came to me. He's like, you know, we've got a problem. The folks are getting confused about early beta users. They're getting confused about the investment personality and our strategies, the portfolios. What do we do? And I was like, forget it pull the personalities, it's not going to work. It was great in theory, in reality, it's just going to create more confusion. Pull it out, I was wrong. And what was great about that, by the way, within our culture, it just showed that don't be afraid to fail, just fall forward. And it it's, it's fostered an incredible culture. One of the most rewarding things for me with QAI is that we've got this incredible, awesome team that comes in every day that's constantly iterating pushing ideas and becoming such a hub of innovation within just fintech, within what we're trying to do, the investing management space. 
And I hope, you know, talking about my own experience here where, hey, it sounds like a great idea, the application of Jungian archetypes to investing and connecting that to the investor experience didn't really work out. It was my idea and we pulled it right away to show it would be great for other young entrepreneurs to think about what they're doing, not to be afraid to fail, but just fall forward. You're not failing if you're wrong. You're failing anything. You're every, it doesn't if you don't, if you don't listen to the market and what's uh, what's not working. Yeah. yeah, what doesn't yeah. Not, what doesn't kill you makes you smarter. Love it. Yeah. I, well, I, I I should be a genius by now, but uh, <laughs> hmm, maybe I'm not uh, catching all the lessons. Well, that's great advice, and uh, something I, I'm always uh, curious about. I, I'd love to see people that. Um, are, are flexible, are, are adjusting to the market, are, and because and, that's how you move forward, uh, like you were saying, otherwise you, you will fail uh, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, we wish you all the luck in getting this out to as many customers as, as possible and uh, buying out Black, BlackRock in a few years. We'll, we'll have to have a follow-up interview before that. I don't yes. know if that'll happen, but you know, it'd be great to share. It'd be great if us or one of our other startup competitors is actually successful in shaking up the asset management industry. And guys, yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be great we, for everybody. We'd love to see more of that for sure. For sure, you're you're right. It has been a little bit of an oligopoly at, at the top there. Well, best of luck to you with that. That's Stephen Mathai Davis, the CEO and founder of QAI. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news and thank you for listening.